Dear friends in Christ, welcome to this podcast from All Saints Episcopal Church in Portland. All Saints is a loving, welcoming parish serving Southeast Portland for over a century. Our purpose is to celebrate God's love, seek and serve Christ in all persons, and go forth into the world rejoicing in the power of the Spirit. Today, we invite you to join the Reverend Andrea Skornick as she preaches the gospel and explores the mysteries of God in our modern world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Mother of us all, Amen. In martial arts, which are systems and traditions of combat, one form that stands out is Aikido. Because unlike some forms of combat, the goal of Aikido is not to dominate the opponent, but rather for both parties to be able to walk away unharmed. This is done through a series of turning movements and empty-handed throwing that redirect the momentum of the attack to neutralize it without bringing harm to the attacker. And rather than trying to overcome the opponent, it's about overcoming one's own aggressive instincts rather than acting on them. For Aikido's creator, this was not merely a physical strategy for defense, but deeply rooted in a philosophy of universal peace and reconciliation. He called Aikido the art of peace because it offers a non-violent way to victory in the face of conflict and a way of seeking harmony with one's opponent. He thought its principles could be applied not just to combat, but to all challenges faced in life. The image of the Aikido practitioner seems like a good visual for what Jesus is instructing in our reading today from Matthew. Because here he is teaching his followers how to handle opposition. And like the Aikido creator, he calls for a new way of seeing one's enemies, offering a nonviolent way to victory in the face of conflict. For Jesus' first audience, the enemy they would have had in mind would have been Rome. Those in power who could lawfully take from them in taxes, whose soldiers had the power of life and death over them. They might have also thought of their own leaders who were colluding with Rome at their expense. With Jesus coming on the scene, surely there was hope that things would change. As a leader with fresh energy and charisma, they might have thought of him in the company of other liberators, like Joshua, who overcame at Jericho, or David, who fought the giant and also led many successful wars, or Judah, who led the army of the Maccabean revolt. But here, in one of his earliest public addresses, Jesus sets the tone for his movement but in a way that is very different than those who came before. He says, Blessed are the peacemakers. Turn the other cheek. Love your enemy. 
As with our reading last week from Mark, he begins this part of the Sermon on the Mount with what sounds like a reference to the commands of the Torah, saying, you have heard it said, eye for an eye. But as we are reading this, we should note that Talmudic sages, who were the earliest interpreters of the Torah, said that this wasn't meant to be taken literally. It was intentionally hyperbolic and a way to stress the importance of taking responsibility for one's actions. As an example of this, Jewish philosopher Maimonides cites Exodus 21, which talks about settling damages through repayment. So in this way, eye for an eye is about making amends. Jesus also says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But we should note again that this saying is not actually in the Torah. The commands of the Torah are meant to encourage healthy ways of relating. And in fact, there are instructions in the Torah about helping one's enemy. So then it seems that what Jesus is actually talking about when he says, you have heard it said, is conventional wisdom or prevailing thought. Conventional wisdom does say, eye for an eye, and it's okay to hate your enemies or hurt those who hurt you, because that is what is perceived as fair. If we think about Israel's relationship with Rome, for Israel to respond eye for an eye with Rome, responding to Roman injustice with justice, would actually be taking the high road. But what Jesus is teaching here is to seek mercy instead of justice. Where conventional wisdom would say return in kind, Jesus is teaching them to be merciful as God is merciful. The other thing worth mentioning is that Jesus is not asking his followers to be passive in their situation. He was in no way justifying the abuse or saying that it was okay. In fact, quite the opposite. Because they were not a free, sovereign people, as a people who were oppressed with limited options, he was giving them a way to reclaim their agency. In saying, turn the other cheek, in effect, he's saying, give your other cheek before they strike you anyway. He says, if they come after your cloak by your own volition, give them your tunic as well. Go two miles when only one is required. Because by proactively offering what has not yet been taken, you take away the oppressor's power of doing it against one's will. Or as Matthew Meyer Bolton says, it is a way to refigure something forced into something chosen, so that what might superficially seem to be docility is actually, at a deeper level, a form of non-adversarial nonviolence. Responding in this way is a way to disarm the enemy by doing the unexpected, the undeserved, overwhelming with a spirit of generosity. And it's to go even a step further, to cultivate a sense of care for the enemy so that they can be seen as something other than an enemy. When Jesus first gave this message, 
I can imagine the eager crowd being somewhat deflated by it. How could this be his plan, his response to everything that they've suffered? But at the same time, maybe his teaching caused them to think of other things they had heard said in Scripture. Not just an eye for an eye, but that passage in Isaiah that talks about turning swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks, redirecting what is meant for harm and destruction into something generative. Could this be the way to the human community that they longed for? And was this perhaps the best chance of getting there? As we think about Jesus' teaching in our own context, there are two pieces of application that I want us to consider. First is to acknowledge that our context is different from that of the first audience. We, for the most part, are not an oppressed people. We enjoy a certain level of privilege and power as U.S. citizens and as a predominantly white community. So then the emphasis for us should be to use that freedom and power and privilege to encourage Jesus' message of nonviolence. And there's an opportunity for this in our country right now. People are questioning if we, as a society, move to force and criminalization too fast and how that disproportionately impacts people of color or the houseless community. The wisdom of Jesus has something to say about this. We can also look at the way our society turns to violence to solve problems and encourage ways that we can exhaust all other possible means through things like diplomacy, mental health care, and better social supports. The second application is on a personal level because the conversation around nonviolence isn't just about physical attacks. It's how we choose to relate to each other almost every day. When someone hurts us, we have a choice to make about how we're going to respond. And it's not just with our enemies, but with acquaintances and coworkers, and with our family and friends. In fact, there was a recent article in The Atlantic that talked about how it's our friends and not our enemies who hurt us the most. Just as when Jesus says the way of the world is an eye for an eye and you can hate your enemies, we live in a world that keeps score. Conventional wisdom says if you hurt me, I have a right to hurt you or at least put you in your place or write you off forever. But is getting back at the other person ever leave us feeling good? Does it give us the satisfaction or sense of resolution that we want? No. But what Jesus is saying is actually offensive to conventional wisdom. He is saying respond with the opposite of how you've been treated. And he offers a way for victory without more damage. It is giving permission that Contrary to what the ego wants or what the world says is okay, we don't have to fight back. 
We can pause on that impulse and draw on God's love that is in us and then go and love that person with the undeserved, unexpected love. With a love that actually has the power to heal us from their wrongdoing. Pursuing the other with love works because it redirects our efforts. It lets go of the need for vindication. It brings peace where there has been tension. And it is what allows both parties to walk away unharmed. Returning hatred with love, going back with love each time, is the only way we all win. And to show this kind of love is to participate in something sacred because it is to love like God loves. I want to close with something that the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King said in a sermon on this very passage. He said, Returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Hate multiplies hate. Violence multiplies violence. And toughness multiplies toughness in a descending spiral of destruction. So when Jesus says, love your enemies, he is setting forth a profound and ultimately inescapable admonition. Have we not come to such an impasse in the modern world that we must love our enemies or else? The chain reaction of evil hate begetting hate, wars producing wars, must be broken or we shall be plunged into the dark abyss of annihilation. May we take Jesus' teaching around nonviolence and love to heart, and be disciplined practitioners in our love, for it is what lets the light back in. It is what leads to true peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast offering from All Saints Episcopal Church in Portland. For more resources from All Saints, or to support this or our many other outreach ministries, please visit allsaintspdx.org.